Thanks for listening to The Awakening Podcast. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. Today, I want to talk to you from the subject dedicated to God's house. The last few weeks, I've been talking on the word consecrated, but today, I want to move from consecrated to dedicated to God's house and the things of God. Will you pray with me for a moment? Holy Spirit, right now, we invite you to speak to your people. God, I pray you awaken our hearts and you awaken our minds to your truth and your reality. And Lord, I pray you help us take the next step in our faith and in our journey with you. May Jesus become more real to us than he ever has before. In Jesus' name. Come on, everyone said in the chat, amen, amen, amen. Dedicated to God's house. I want to talk to you uh, about what it looks like to engage in the work of the ministry, which lasts into eternity. And when we begin to engage in the work of the ministry, we are doing something that will outlast our work. It will outlast our life, even outlast our legacy into eternity. And I'm talking about being dedicated to God's house. And I'm hoping that you and I might orient ourselves towards the church of Jesus Christ. We've been talking about the character Daniel in the Bible. Daniel was taken into captivity when Babylon conquered Judah. They took many of the Israelite people and many of the temple artifacts off to Nineveh, off to the capital of Babylon, and they were captive there for many years. And we've been speaking about how Daniel, in the midst of the society of Babylon, which Babylon is a picture of an antichrist kingdom, of a godless kingdom, a kingdom that sets itself up against God's kingdom of heaven. We find Daniel living under that, but not being a part of it. What did he do? He consecrated himself away from the things of the world and towards the things of God. But you know, this story goes on. That Babylon was conquered by Persia, and pretty soon one empire gives way to another, And the people of Judah are still living under the oppressiveness of a foreign power. They're still living under that that realm of captivity. But after Daniel comes a succession of people that are risen up. And God even begins to move on the hearts of those kings to let his people go back to Judah, back to Jerusalem, and rebuild the temple. There's a couple different characters, but we're going to focus in on one of them. We're going to talk about the man named Nehemiah. This is the man that comes after Daniel's action. Daniel chose, this is amazing, because Daniel chose to consecrate himself away from Babylon, and that opened the door for one day there to be a man like Nehemiah who's able to dedicate himself not away from Babylon, but towards God's kingdom. My point is this today. We should be consecrated away from the things of the world. But that's just step one. As we begin to mature in Christ, we begin to not just move away from things, but move towards things. We're consecrated away from Babylon, but we're dedicated towards Jerusalem. In other words, we're consecrated away from the things of the world, but we're dedicated to the things of God, the people of God, the house of God, which is the church of Jesus Christ. We'll pick up the story here in the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 1 begins with uh, the story where, it, where Nehemiah's story begins, and, and uh, Nehemiah is speaking to his brothers, and, and the Bible says that he, he, he's speaking, he says, I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, 
who had survived the exile and concerning Jerusalem. He's seeking a report from his homeland. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile, they're in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. Here Nehemiah gets a negative report from his homeland. He gets a negative report from the, the atmosphere of the people of God and the place of God. See, we've got to understand that Jerusalem is a picture of where God resides amongst his people. That was in the Old Testament. But the New Testament is the church of Jesus Christ, the place where God resides amongst his, his people. And, and here we see that Nehemiah gets the heart that God had. His heart begins to break as he hears the negative report about the pain and the suffering of his people. I want you to please hear me. It is not God's plan for you to be stuck under tragedy and shame. This is where they were living. See, the walls and the gates, they represented uh, a lack of God's protection over Jerusalem. Because the people had sinned, God gave them over to their enemies. They were no longer protected. They were in distress. They were in trouble. They were in a place of pain. But understand that it was not God's plan for them to be living or stuck in a perpetual place of pain. It was not God's plan for his people back then, and it is not God's plan for his people, for you and I, here and now. God does not want us to live in a place of pending, where we're not where we used to be, but we're not where we're going. We're struck in, stuck in transition. We're stuck in frustration. We're stuck in the difficulties of life. That is not God's eternal plan for his people, that we would be stuck in an unresolved state. Maybe that's where you feel today. There's areas of your life that are unresolved, places of pain that are unresolved. Maybe in your finances, there are things that are pending, relationships that had crisis hit them, and it's unresolved. Maybe you're stuck in a place of pain even in your own mind, that if you change where you live, it still doesn't change your reality because there's pain in your own mind. Please hear me. That is not of God. And that is not God's plan for you. His plan is to pull you out of captivity, out of trouble, out of shame, and walk you into sanctification, walk you into salvation. That is the God that we serve. And he'll do that by bringing you close to his spirit, close to his church, close to his people. This is why I always say you need a good crew. Because in a crew, you'll find friends, you'll find wisdom, you'll find people that will pray with you. And as you begin to pray, as you begin to gather, as you begin to exchange the promises of God, God can begin to walk you out of that place of pending, that place where tragedy has had its say over you for far too long. Please hear me. An injustice done unto you should not become your identity for eternity. As you begin to turn towards God, God's heart, turns towards you, for he will not allow his people to live in a place of tragedy forever. God brings this story to, me, to Nehemiah's awareness because God's about to do a new thing, because that's who God is. And I believe as God did a new thing for them, 
I believe God wants to do a new thing for this church and for your life. That God wants to move us into a time of rebuilding. Hear me. That's who God is. That's what he does. Eventually, God always moves us from a place of brokenness to a place of rebuilding. Remember when Jesus called his disciples? He said, follow me and I will, what's the word? I will make you. That's our God. He's constantly forming and reforming. He's constantly restoring and redeeming. He's remaking us. That's his call, but this is also his promise. Follow me and I will make you. What's so beautiful about that is, you know, I'm sure you've heard that Jesus was a carpenter. Actually, a closer translation of what his job would be is that he was a builder. Back then, there wasn't, as there is today, very little wood in that area of the world. They would build with stones. Jesus was a builder. See, Nehemiah is just a prefiguring of Jesus. Nehemiah was a builder that was going to remove the shame and the trouble from Jerusalem. But that really is a story uh, all about Jesus, that Jesus is the true and better Nehemiah, that he comes to his people in a time of our great distress, that he comes and rebuilds our foundation. He rebuilds our minds and our identity. He removes shame. He removes trouble and he restores his people. That's who Jesus is. And that's what Jesus was saying to his young disciples saying, follow me and I will make you. Do you remember what he told them many years later on in his ministry? He says, I will build my church. It's an incredible statement when you know that Jesus is saying, I'm a builder. I know how to build things that will last. And I choose to build only one thing. I will build my church, the place and the people for the presence. I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Isn't it interesting that the thing that is making Nehemiah hurt in his soul is that the gates of Jerusalem had been torn down and burned. But Jesus comes and says, I've got a better promise, that the gates of hell, they will be the ones that will be torn down and burned. And the gates of Jerusalem, the gates of my people, the gates of the church, the gates of your life will be rebuilt, restored, and my protection will be on you. Hear me. Eventually, God wants to remove you from a place of brokenness and into a place of restoration because he is a restorative God. And I feel, if I could speak to all of you who say awakening is my home, I feel like God is moving this church into a place, a season of building, a season of rebuilding. And I'm not quite sure which turn this is going to take, but I feel the momentum gathering. And I feel like God is going to begin to open the vision, not just for me as a leader, but for us as his people, that he's going to begin to show us the direction that we are to take moving forward. I believe that the, the days of tragedy and pain will be removed far from us, and God will repurpose us and rebuild us. I believe the season that we're walking into, not just as a church, but for us as individuals, is a season of restoration if we will follow him. Ecclesiastes talks about different seasons. It says there's a time to break down, but then there's a time to build up. I believe we as a church are entering into a time of being built up, not by our own strength, but by the leading of God. This is what Nehemiah felt in his heart. He said, I have to rebuild the walls. I have to restore the protection of God to God's people. And his heart began to turn, and, and so therefore his prayer began to follow. His reaction 
which should be our reaction, to pain and tragedy was to begin to pray. He goes on, Nehemiah says this, as soon as I heard these words, I sat down and I wept and I mourned for days. And here's what I did. I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray our way forward. When tragedy and pain strikes, even when injustice is done to us, we are going to pray our way forward. We are going to pray a path through the problem. We will not avoid it. We will not fall into apathy. We will not create an alternative reality where it says there are no problems. It is not there. No, there are problems. We live in a fallen world, but our response to tragedy will be that of Nehemiah's. We're going to pray our way forward. We're going to pray our way into the future. We're going to pray our way through problems, and we are going to see miracles through our prayer. Because see, when you pray, you begin to assume responsibility. You cannot pray for something without taking part in God's response towards something. When you begin to pray, God makes you a part of the equation, and he makes you a part of the solution. Prayer assumes responsibility. Nehemiah is here, and he's mourning, and he's fasting, and he's beginning to say, God, use me to restore your people. Hear me, Christian, saint, Christ follower. This should be our prayer. Use us, God, to bring restoration to your people. See, here's the thing about God, uh, prayer. It not only assumes responsibility, it also cancels complaining. Many times this is why we don't pray. We don't pray because we know that when we start to pray about something, we can't be venting to everyone else. You can vent to God, but you can't vent to God and everyone else. We know that when we start praying, that we can't simultaneously be complaining as we're asking for a solution. Prayer, we know that when we start praying, we can't be posting everywhere, angry and frustrated. Don't you think it's interesting that Nehemiah, though he had a great case to be angry, bitter towards the governance above him, um, of, of Babylon, Persia. He doesn't call out the king. He's not angry about the past. He says, I'm the man for the hour. I'm the man that God has put here to rebuild the walls. Hear me? No matter what has happened in the past, I believe that God can position you through prayer to make a divine difference, yes, in your family, yes, in your own individual lives, but even far beyond. In this church community and the community at large, I believe as you begin to pray, God will begin to unlock things and begin to walk you into solutions. We, uh, this year, as a church, we've had to learn about seeking the Spirit for our next step. It would be easy to be perpetually frustrated, but in the end, we want to move forward. And so we're going to pray our way through the problem. So we've had to learn how to seek the Holy Spirit to learn our next step. We're not going to react into our next step. We're not going to complain into our next step. Because if we react out of the flesh, it will feel good, but we'll end up going in the wrong direction. But when you begin to pray in the Spirit, He makes the next step clear for you to take. And this year, we've, we've seen that really come into fruition. There were many different trials, tribulations, and difficulties this year. And for me as a leader... There were a lot of uh, opinions on which direction we should go. And certainly there was noise online and people coming into my DMs telling me what to say, what not to say, what to preach, what not to preach. And, and there were real difficult um, situations that we had to respond to. We had no idea, but we chose as a church and as a staff to pray first and pray 
until God made the pathway clear. You know, the problem with prayer is it puts us into God's timetable and not our own. So things didn't happen right away, but we chose to pray. And we stuck with it, knowing that tragedy is going on, knowing that difficulty is going on, knowing that people are living under pain, but we're saying, Holy Spirit, will you lead us? You know what's amazing? is As we began to pray, God began to open up divine connections, just miraculous situations that we could have never on our own fixed. We could have never on our own made happen. But God was working in the background all that time to prepare us to be able to help the people of our city, our state. So interesting, one of the things that happened is there was a young man that I met, and I didn't know him, but he knew me. He grew up going to Awakening Conference, and he was a part of our greater ministry. And so some of the prayers we were praying were for connections into places that could, uh, places of influence so that we could actually do something to change what's happening and, and, and help fulfill the needs here in the city. And God brings this young man right up to me. We start talking, and little did I know that 10 years before I ever even prayed the prayer, God was working on the answer to the prayer by bringing this young man into our ministry, where one day God was going to position him into a place of influence so that he could open doors at the highest level of our state so that the church could step up and begin to help, begin to bring answers. God did divine things. And one day I hope I can tell you the whole story but what I'm trying to say is God will open doors that your very best leadership never could. God will bring solutions that the great workings of your mind, the most brilliant among you, could never solve. God will bring answers where there seem to be no answers. When you begin to approach God in prayer, even in the midst of tragedy, God can begin to bring change through you. What am I speaking of? I'm speaking of the eternal work that God does through his people and the church. How does he do it? We're going to keep coming to prayer, keep coming to him, and say, God, you lead us. We'll take the next step. This is what Nehemiah did. Nehemiah says, I began to weep. I began to pray. I began to seek God. Then he lets us in on a little secret. He says in Nehemiah uh, chapter 1, verse 11, he says, but now, now I was cupbearer to the king. It's interesting that God wants you to use your influence on behalf of his people. I like that he almost breaks the fourth wall. He's writing along, telling us the story, and then he tells us, hey, now I was cupbearer to the king. In other words, get ready, because I'm about to use my position, my placement for the blessing, the help, the, the, the form, for, foremost movement, movement the, the, um, the, uh, it's almost like there was a prophetic placement that God had him there for this moment. And maybe God has put you in some places of influence, positioned you so that when God's people need help, you're ready to step up. God will position his people next to places of provision. He was cupbearer to the king. In other words, the king trusted this man with his life. He was in the court. He had the king's ear. So after he'd heard about the destruction that had gone on, he walks into the king's court and he's got a sullen look on his face and he's sad, which 
At that time, he's taking his life in his hands, just walking in like that. And the king says, what's wrong? I can tell. You've got sadness of heart. You're heartbroken over something. And this is when God is about to answer Nehemiah's prayer through Nehemiah. That's what I mean when I say when you pray, you begin to assume responsibility. Nehemiah says, O king, this is the state of Judah, the state of Jerusalem. Will you allow me to go back and repair the walls of my people? What's so interesting is that God had him placed in the right position before there was even a need. So that when the need arose, God said, now's your moment to step up. Now's your moment to engage in the work of the ministry. I guess what I want to ask you, what I want to challenge you with today is consider your placement. Where has God put you? What areas of influence or ability has God given you, not just for your own benefit, your own health or protection, but for the work of the ministry, for God's people, for God's church, that he might build a sector of the community through you? I believe that many people listening to this stream right now are also many answers to prayers being prayed. That God has positioned you. He's given you your skills, your talents, and your ability. You say, no, I went to school for that. No, 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 I learned it on YouTube. No, I've been working hard at that. Yes, but it was God that even planted the seed. It was God that gave the gift. I'm grateful that you cultivated it. Thank God. But it was God that was with you along the way, not just for our own selfish desires, but that we might help God's people in their time of need. And so I'd ask you to begin to consider in your heart this question, how can I help God's people? How can I help the church of Jesus Christ? How can I help build it up, move it forward? How can I help the people in my crew, my community? Because hear me, I believe that you're called to be a leader. You are a Nehemiah in this generation. You are not like everyone else. The things that you see, you see them not to complain, but you see them to attach to your calling. I believe that God has positioned you in a place that when there is a need, God says, now's the time. And I, I want to ask you, have you ever considered that? Where you work, who you know, who you're connected with, have you ever considered that God might want to use you and the influence he put in you to open doors, to answer prayers, to, to solve needs, to build the church. Because see, when Jesus builds the church, he builds it through people. He builds it through you. Last week, I got to meet uh, a 79-year-old woman in, in another church, and she had a heart for the church. She had it in her heart this year that she wanted to give a certain sum of money, a large sum of money, to the church. And, and she didn't know how she was going to do it. She's a retired teacher just living on that pension. And, but she began to pray, God, here's the problem, and I need a divine solution. Well, when the pandem pandemic hit, she was putting a mask on like everyone else, and, and uh, she, couldn't, um, she couldn't stand it because it fogged up her glasses. This is a problem we've all had to deal with. So she designed a solution. She started sewing these custom masks that helped there not be eternal fogging of her glasses. Sent it to her daughter. Her daughter loved it, gave it to her friends and said, Mom, they want more down here. Began to create a whole system. She's sewing day and night. In the end, she sold, in just a few short months, $12,000 worth of masks. 
She was able to give half to the church, the other half to missions organizations that God had connected her to. What am I saying? I'm saying that even in the midst of pandemics and problems, I believe that God can begin to use you, your influence, your skills, your talents, your ideas to benefit the church, to help his people to have the work of the ministry move forward. It would have sounded crazy for this woman to say, I'm going to give this money. And it would have, it would have been like, how? How? I'm going to pray my way through it. What am I saying? I'm saying that we are called to be like Nehemiah's. We are called, positioned, set apart, that we might be able to make big requests of the King of Kings that we can help his people. That's what the king asked Nehemiah. He says, what are you requesting of me? That's my question to you. What right now are you requesting of the king? The book of Philippians says this, let your requests be made known to God. Say them out loud. Bring it before the throne. Let me ask you this. If the king of kings asked you this question today, if he asked you, what are you requesting today? Would you have a response that would serve his people and not just yourself? Would you have a response that would push forward the work of the ministry? Not just what you want to see happen in your own life. See, this is what James was speaking about when he's speaking on prayer in chapter 4. He says, you do not have because you do not ask God. But when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. That you may spend what you get on your own pleasures. James is letting us know God's going to back you, but you have to be working on behalf of his people, advancing the ministry, helping those around you, having a mind towards being a blessing. James is saying if we're only going to ask for self, that's not prayer and that's not godliness. But if we will be a conduit of blessing, that God will hear our prayer He'll position us into a place of provision that we might help his people. And I believe that that is the place God's calling us into right now. I'm here to tell you we're going to have a big vision going forward in this church. I'm not quite sure exactly what we're going to do, but we're going to do something. And it will not be small. It will be large. It will be led by God, revealed in his timing, and that our church, the best days, are yet to come. We're well over 30 years old as a church. I'm speaking to you from a stunning building, next door to a stunning building. The stories of how these were built are miraculous. But what happened was God saw that there was a need for a church like this in a state like ours. And God looked for Nehemiahs that would stand up and say, we are here to help. We will pray. We will sacrifice. We will give. We will push forward. And I believe that what the previous generation has done, has set us up to do even more. We Heart Lives is going to continue to push forward. Our church is going to continue to push forward, even in the area of media. You know, I think it's so amazing that when the pandemic hit, seems like a reflective sermon today. I'm, I'm thinking through what's happened in the past year. But what's amazing is we didn't have to scramble. We already had really good cameras. We had great lighting and a beautiful set design. And I thank God for this. We were already live streaming. We didn't have to learn all this new stuff. Believe me, it was, it was a crazy situation. But we were prepared 
because God was walking with us along the way. I mean, even for Easter last year, we're going to have a great Easter this year, but even for Easter last year where we, we had our doors shut, but yet we had a fully made Easter service from the land of Israel that God walked us into that solution before the problem ever even arose. And I thank God for a church that gave and pushed towards these things so that we could be a blessing. I was talking to a pastor friend of mine, and he was telling me about when everything hit. He said, we didn't have a live stream service. We didn't have boards. We didn't have, we didn't, we didn't have anything. And he said it was an extremely difficult process to switch over to live streaming, and they made it happen. But I'm thankful that we were, we were a part of a church that when it was time to make that switch, we were able to make that switch. The reason being, we've always pushed forward. We've always tried to innovate. We've always tried to move on to the next thing that God has for us. And God led us in such a way that when the wave crashed, we were able to surf it. What's the next wave going to be? I don't know, but I'm excited for it. And I believe that God is going to walk with us. So here's what I'm asking for you to do. As you're part of this church, you're part of the awakening movement, I want to, begin you, I want to be, ask you to, to begin to consider exactly how you will use your gifts, your talents, your influence, your position to prayerfully execute the work of the ministry. That the church might grow. That people might be helped. That they will be pulled from moments of tragedy. Moments of difficulty and pain and brought into a place of healing. I believe this is what God is calling for us to do. And I'm excited to move into a new era of building the church. And I'm excited to see what God has for us as we move towards this. And, and, and hear me, we're not going to be distracted. We're not going to go off and do our own thing. Because that's always the goal of the enemy is to get us distracted. You know, as... As Nehemiah was building the wall, there, were, there was a man by, by the name of Sanballat, and he constantly came against the work that Nehemiah was doing. There will always be an enemy. There will always be distractions, frustrations, and obstacles. But we know that he who is within us is greater than he that is in the world. Sanballat constantly came against what Noah was building, sorry, Nehemiah was building, but Jesus is the one that helps us build. Jesus was backing Nehemiah. He backs us. So we're not going to be distracted from our calling. Because I believe that the work that we put into God's church, God's people, it's the greatest work, and it's worthy of our lives. One moment, Sanballat, he, he sent a letter to Nehemiah, and he says, come and meet me down in the valley. You know, it's interesting about Sanballat, his, his name was, it means enemy in secret. And in the Babylonian rendition of his name, it means sin has vivified or sin has been given life. So interesting that there's always an enemy in secret. And many times it's the enemy of our own secret life where sin has come to life in an area of our life. You know what it always tries to do? It tries to pull us down, down into distraction down into the lack of vision, down into cycles of addiction. When Sanballat, he, he wanted to move Nehemiah into distraction, he gave him an invitation. And he said, come and, and let us meet together in Hakepharim in the plain of Ono. What, what was he saying? He was saying, come down into the valley. Come down into the broken place with me. 
and let's have a conversation down here. Four times Nehemiah said, I'm not going down in the valley with you. I'm not going to get distracted. I'm not going to get brought into my old life. I'm not going to step back in to that area of secret sin. I'm, I'm going to keep things out in the open because I'm working on the, on the area with the people that God has placed me in. Four times. Finally, on the fifth time, Nehemiah's response was this. He said, I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? What's he saying? He's saying, my life is dedicated to a godly work. I'm building the church. I'm engaged in the work of the ministry. Why should I go down into distraction? Why should I get caught up in the old things of life? Why should I give time, effort, energy to a secret enemy? Someone hiding, people saying things, people that don't understand. And why are you doing that? Why are you part of that church? Why are you with them? Look, why should I go down there and stop what I've dedicated my life to? I believe this. I believe that the work we are doing is a great work. I believe it's affecting people, changing lives. Every Sunday, I'm seeing the altar full. On the, on the online services, I'm seeing changed lives. Through We Heart Lives, changed lives. We're doing a great work. Now is not the hour of distraction. Now is the hour of perseverance. So we're going to fix our eyes on Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, it says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. He's the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I'm going to close right now with a quick story. When I was first born, my my mom went through a really difficult time. Some very strange medical thing happened where when she was given the epidural, it, it pierced her spinal fluid, which somehow got into her eye. I mean, it was a very, very rare medical uh, um, you know, circumstance that, that they almost didn't even know what it was because it was so rare they'd almost never really seen it with many other people. They had to go far, far back years before in medical journals to find out what on earth happened because when that, that fluid went into her eye, she went cross-eyed a couple days after, after giving birth. And so there she was with a newborn, and she couldn't see. In order to, to be focused, in order to continue on with life, she had to wear an eye patch for weeks on end, not knowing what was going on, scared, nervous, feeling unprotected, feeling like what on earth is happening all because of a, of a screw-up that they couldn't even pinpoint. You know, it's interesting. My, my mom said, you know, so much of it was about my eyes. Who would have thought that you would grow up to start a church and a movement called Awakening? See, the enemy always wants to distract you. The enemy always wants to destroy you at the place of your purpose, the greatest work. My mom said, after the feelings had gone, she said faith began to rise. Her and my dad just launched this church for two years and all of the leaders and ministry began to pray with them. And she said, I took this verse from Hebrews and I put it all over my house in every room because I was going to declare God's word and God's promise over me, not get distracted, not get defeated. I was going to pray my way through the problem, fixing my eyes on Jesus. 
She said, even though I couldn't focus, I chose spiritually, faithfully to focus, fixing my eyes on Jesus. And she said, one day, you know, weeks later, healing came. Her eyes went uncrossed. As soon as it came, it went away. And thank God for the miracle. Thank God for what he did. But what happened to my mom? Her choices that she made through it. What happened to many of us in different areas of our life where tragedy will strike, the enemy will seek to distract us. But I'm here to remind you today, fix your eyes on Jesus. Come around the people of God, the community that he is building. Focus your faith on the one above. We are not in a season of distraction. We're doing a great work. We're building the kingdom of heaven. We're building the house of God. And I believe that what's ahead of us is very great. We thank God for all of the miracles behind us, but what's ahead of us is very great. And we as a church are going to continue to advance forward. I pray you're a part of it. I pray you're all in. I pray you join the vision. Use your influence. Engage your faith. And begin to focus on the things to come. We are going to engage in the work of the ministry. And let that outlast us into eternity. Thanks for listening to the Awakening Podcast. We hope this message has encouraged you. If you want to learn more about our church, visit us online at awakening.global. We'll see you soon.